this is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by a magnificent pediatric cardiologist and leader, Dr. Sanjay Parikh. Dr. Parikh is going to talk to us about priorities today, about leadership, advice for emerging leaders, and more. Dr. Parikh, can you take a moment just to introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm sorry. I'm a pediatric cardiologist and an adult congenital heart disease specialist by training and board certification. I am in active practice still. I'm in active practice here in Indianapolis. I've been here for about 25 years now, uh, following the completion of my training here in Indianapolis and in Boston. I returned here to practice, then went on to start a program and became the director for pediatric cardiology at uh, St. Vincent Hospitals in Indianapolis, then became the director for pediatric service line or all of pediatrics for a duration of, of about five years. And about five years ago, uh, became a co-founder of a healthcare company called Green Circle Health, now called Green Circle Life. Um, so that's uh, pretty much uh, my professional background to date. Well, fantastic. And you've had and are having this great career. I'm going to ask you both about trends in cardiology and your top priorities today. Let's start with what are two or three big trends in cardiology today? Yeah, so, um, Scott, about a couple of years ago, I put together a talk called Paradigm Shifts. And uh, this is just a timely question. I'll be able to summarize the talk I did. So, I will not have to prepare or make up an answer for this question. Um, so in terms of paradigm shifts in medicine, it's interesting. If you go back to the history of medicine, there is a major paradigm shift every 20 to 30 years. Um, sometime in the 1850s, there was a paradigm shift to antisepsis and followed by a shift to anesthesia that changed the landscape for surgery. And then um, a shift to the development of surgical uh, procedures most famously by the Mayo brothers and their father at Mayo Clinic in the earlier part of the 20th century, followed by the development of antibiotics and then vaccines and then devices. So there is sort of a timetable to how these shifts occur. And I think we are now at the cusp of a whole new paradigm shift in cardiology and in medicine at large. I think these shifts will occur in all parts of medicine, but as, as specific to cardiology, I think there are three things that will happen in a big way in the next five to 10 year time span, um, meaning in your and our professional lifetime. The first major paradigm shift will be the increasing use of variables and becoming your own healthcare advisor. Uh, the most common example of that would be the Apple Watch, especially Apple Watch 6, or even now the 7, which can actually track your oxygen content in the blood and give you a live EKG. So, um, so that's just an example. By the way, I'm not trying to promote a certain product or something. So the first major shift that is happening is the increasing uh, use of variables and people becoming their own healthcare advisors, which is good, by the way. I don't mean it uh, to be uh, something uh, inappropriate. I think people do need to become more responsible for their own health care and become their own health care advisors as time goes on. Fantastic. Informative and fantastic. Tell us about the second shift. Yeah, so the second shift, as it pertains specifically to cardiology, 
is the evolution of devices. In the field of cardiology, there, is, there are two basic problems. Um, there is very little care for end-stage heart failure, meaning the care is transplantation or a mechanical device, which is the bridge to transplantation. And there's even a bigger uh, challenge for us in pediatric cardiology and adult congenital heart disease because of the patients who are born with single ventricles, which in layman's terms means half a heart. Um, we can do things for them through childhood years, but once they enter their adulthood, their heart starts failing and almost everyone ends up needing a transplant. So there are some exciting developments in the, fields of, in the field of device development and miniaturization that would essentially um, let you use a mechanical device to supplement your natural heart. In other words, it's not something as simple as a pacemaker, but a actual mechanical device that would pump blood. And, and I think those developments um, have been ongoing for years now, but they're finally reaching um, uh, maturation. And uh, I think we'll see the fruits of the labor of all the people in that field over the last uh, 15 to 20 years. And then the last and the third major shift will be the era of the upcoming personalized healthcare. Um, recently, there was an article published in uh, MIT Technology Review that labels this upcoming personalization as hyper-personalization of healthcare based on uh, genetics sequencing. So in other words, and, that, and the next step to that would be to basically custom grow your own organ. So to take your own genetic code as your heart starts failing to grow a replacement heart in the lab, but that is obviously 20, 30 years away. But between now and then, there will be more customization of healthcare based on individual genetics. So, so I think we are uh, uh, entering an area of uh, hyper-personalization of healthcare based by genetic sequencing. Uh, so those are the three major trends that will affect cardiology and medicine at large over the uh, next decade. So more personalization, taking responsible for your own medicine, taking more responsibility for your own medicine as we see day to day, two is the sort of mechanical devices that will be miniaturized that could be almost like not a pacemaker, but really help improve internal cardiovascular function. And right. third is the genetic and the precision medicine that might make us able to reproduce things very specifically for a very specific person. And so, so fantastic. And then, then take us to the next question. You've had this great career. You've got a great leadership role. You've had a great leadership role at Ascension St. Vincent's, a magnificent system. You've also had your own entrepreneurial venture. Talk about what are your top three priorities today? What do you see as your top three priorities now? Yeah, so the first priority is, I think, everyone's priority in healthcare to understand what should be done and what can be done to bend the cost curve in healthcare. Because it's, it's, it's common sense, right, uh, Scott, that if we continue at the current pace of uh, uh, expense uh, structure, uh, which is about a 6% increase in healthcare costs year after year after year, which far outpaces inflation or anything else, it is simply not sustainable. Ultimately, all societies unfortunately collapse under the weight of their own decisions, whether it's the British Empire, which is overstretched across the planet, or whether it's the Roman civilization and so on and so forth. Well, those of us in healthcare hope that it won't be our healthcare system that will lead to um, the demise of our wonderful um, 
capitalist system. So I think the first and foremost priority, at least for me or anyone else, should be uh, to make an attempt to understand what can and should be done to bend the cost curve in healthcare. The second priority is, I think, more immediate, and that has been brought on by the COVID pandemic. So there are a lot of estimates now that maybe in the next two to three year time span, um, we will reach a point where telemedicine will become 25 to 30% of outpatient care. Some people estimate it could be as much as 50% of outpatient care. What I think the problem with telemedicine is going to be if it becomes an increasing part of our healthcare system is how are we going to do it right? In other words, if this were a telemedicine consultation with you right now, if I were engaged in telemedicine consultation on FaceTime or any telemedicine platform where we can see each other and we can certainly read each other's expression, we can certainly read each other's body language somehow, but I cannot auscultate you. I cannot listen to your heart. I cannot peek into your eyes or your ears to see what effect your heart disease is having on your vision, for instance. So, so how are we going to integrate that aspect of care into telemedicine, which is how would we auscultate the patient, get uh, a semblance of an ECG, if not an entire 12 ECG off their chest, at least a semblance of an ECG, meaning the kind of ECG that, say, uh, one of the variable devices provides. So, so I think that's uh, should be our second priority as we go through this pandemic and the foreseeable future uh, in the bright new world of telemedicine, that how do we do it right? And more, most importantly, how do we develop technologies that can, uh, can add value to telemedicine or can make it a viable technology? So as I said, just seeing each other on TV is not viable healthcare. Um, what's how do we make it more viable by adding other technologies around it, whether it is using variables that you hold on your chest that lets me listen to your heart and so on and so forth. In that case, telemedicine would become a realistic thing. So that would be my second priority going forward in the foreseeable future. Fantastic. So, so far I've got two big priorities. What's the third? Right. So the practice of medicine satisfying on an ongoing basis for those of us who are getting older. So some of us are caught in this uh, web of technological revolution, right? I mean, I finished my cardiology training about 29 years ago, my pediatrics training about um, 33 years ago. So, um, so care was quite simple then. You wrote orders, you did handwritten charts, you listened to the patient, you went from room to room, EMRs came about, and now telemedicine is about to come uh, into play. Um, and and not only that, uh, not only the tech, the tech, there has been uh, a technological change, uh, but I think um, the other ch change in medicine has been the administrative change. So again, 30, 33 years ago, uh, even a large hospital system would have one chief medical officer and one sort of president or CEO, half the time that person would be a physician. So it was relatively straightforward to deal with the system. Uh, now, of course, every system is more hierarchical and, um, and it's 
structured more like uh, a corporation should be structured. I mean, there's a chief strategy officer, there's a chief information officer, there's a chief financial officer. And, um, and, and for those of us in the medical practice, it's, um, it's, you're caught in, caught in sort of this vice, vice may be the wrong term, but sort of in this vice where there is constant technological change and then there's constant administrative change, but you are still expected to provide ongoing healthcare in a cost-efficient manner. And that, of course, creates um, a fair amount of, I think, insecurity and job dissatisfaction. And, and how do we, and again, I don't claim to tell you that I have a solution to this. Um, how, how do we get out of this cycle in this wise? But if I had a priority, that would be my third priority or how to make this a satisfying experience for those of us who are getting older. Fantastic. And so let me go back for a second. Do me a favor, 30 seconds, yes. summarize the three big trends in cardiology. 30 mm -hmm. seconds. Give me the summary for our listeners that want to take notes. Yeah. Very so once summary. again, the, the summary of three big trends, well, we can do it in less than 30 seconds. Item number one, variables and increasing trend towards people becoming more responsible and responsive, responsible and responsive to their own health care and their own bodies. Number two, the development of newer devices, which can supplement cardiac function, which can basically be a better quality mechanical heart. And number three, uh, personalization of medicine, mainly using your own genetics code. So now, summarize for me again your top three priorities right now. Again, 30 seconds. Right. So my top three priorities in 30 seconds, number one, um, for me to understand what can be done and should be done in my day-to-day -day life, taking care of patients, which would allow us all to bend the cost curve in healthcare. Number two, if telemedicine becomes an ongoing part of um, uh, our healthcare uh, process over the next couple of years, then to see if we can all uh, contribute to it in a meaningful way by having devices and procedures uh, which add to the telemedicine visit, which actually make the visit more um, uh, actionable. And number three, um, uh, to, to interface with people, which might include yourself, for instance, to interface with people and specialists who allow um, doctors who have been in the field for, say, three or four dec decades to, uh, to, to continue to provide uh, uh, care in a professionally satisfying manner. And so one more question in 60 seconds. Your best advice to emerging leaders or emerging physicians? Best advice to emerging leaders? Right. I have only one advice uh, given my background of managing children's uh, services for five years and then pediatric cardiology for about 20 years is I, for one, have never found a way to hold people who do not directly report to me accountable in a healthcare system. Um, as you have often heard, people say uh, implementation eats strategy for dinner, uh, and it, I've always found it difficult to implement the vision because um, data, for instance, if you're trying to get data, the data sits in so many silos in large complex hospital systems that uh, you either cannot get the right people to share it with you, or when you get to those right people, they won't share it in a timely manner. So my advice is master a way to hold people who do not report to you in a large healthcare system. How would you, those who are not reported, who don't report to you, how would you hold them accountable 
to at least get you the information and uh, the um, and the uh, policies that you need to make yourself successful. And That's I, for it. one, never mastered that. So if uh, somebody can teach me to do it, Scott, I can start a new career then. Well, a lot of us never master that. So I think it's <laughs> it's a it's a brilliant question and piece of advice. It's magnificent to speak to you, Dr. Parikh, today. Just a great pleasure. And thank you very much for joining us.